Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. Hey folks, today I have Dan Fernandez, is the founder of Soystock, a very nice SaaS that he was able to start, grow, and exit. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, nice to be here, Phil. Could you tell us a little bit about your background story and how you come up with the idea to build Soystock? Sure. My background story, kind of how I got to where I was at, was via some online poker gambling, to be perfectly honest with you. So I've been a serial entrepreneur for decades, almost two decades now. And it started with creating multiple different SaaS products. And our first SaaS product that we made, we started as an agency. And the way our agency started, we were doing a lot of SEO and a lot of link building and web design and things like that. And me and my business partner on the side, when we were in college, would play online poker to help pay the bills. And one of the days we joined a poker tournament and I remember leaving and my parents were in town for whatever reason. I came back and my, the walls were, they had water on them. Pictures were taken down, all this different kind of stuff. And my buddy goes, get your stuff. We're going out. And he'd won, you know, 25 grand on a poker tournament, which helped fuel our agency, which then allowed us to hire more developers, which allowed us to start building better SaaS products and kind of growing the agency to a point to where we built our first SaaS product, which was called Thomason, which was a link building tool that would connect when influencers were, they're still a big thing, but we were really on the forefront of like connecting an influencer with a brand. And it started getting really popular in the Amazon community. And as we built it, as we grew it, it got to a point to where we had kind of worked ourselves out of a job, right? We had built all the automations. We had built all the efficiencies to it. And I was speaking at a conference down in Houston, Texas, and I ran into Chelsea Cohen, one of my business partners. And she was like, oh my God, this SaaS idea about inventory management, which is what So Stocked is all about. And she was kicking the idea around it. I was looking for a new project to spin up because being an entrepreneur, I always love to create. I love that from an idea to getting it on paper, to building it, to having it actually be a real thing, right? Like some people love doing things with their hand and building a house. I love building a business. And she started talking through all these different ideas of how the Amazon space just doesn't have an inventory, good inventory management. It doesn't have good forecasting. It doesn't have all these problems or it has all these problems. And that she's actually going through. And then I go, well, I know we have one, Thomason, who has a ton of Amazon following already. And two, I have the knowledge and the time and the understanding of how to build a SaaS product. Let's partner up and kind of create an MVP and start the ball rolling. And that's really where it started was at a random conference where she pitched an idea. I was looking for a new project. The stars aligned in the fact that we already had a market base that we could tap into to kind of kickstart everything. And she was a subject expert in the fact of just Amazon and inventory management. I had a 
my college degree is in operations management, so I understand logistics and those kind of things. So coupling that with my other business partner, John Cook, who's a wizard at marketing and PPC ads and graphic design and all those kind of things, we really had the three legs of the stool to start the MVP. And then, yeah, the snowball was started to roll from there. That's amazing. There's so much to unpack here. But before we move and talk more about your product, you touch on something that I would like to go back on. You say that you start with a poker tournament, you made the 25K. And I read a lot of business books where people talk about like how playing poker make you a better business person. What are you thinking about that? Like, I think as an entrepreneur, you have to have the stomach for the unknown. And that's what beyond just reading people, right? Like you need to be able to know, all right, I'm going to put, it might be your last hundred bucks. You got to put that, you got to gamble that. And not to say that being an entrepreneur, you're gambling all the time, but you're taking a gamble on yourself. You are that pit of your stomach of like, wow, this is, might not be super safe, but I really believe in it. I trust my experience and what I can do. I 100% believe in that. Obviously, then reading people, understanding the odds, but when it comes to a personality, being able to stomach the ebbs and flows of what it is to be an entrepreneur and to be able to go, well, yep, we're down, but you know what? We know what we're doing here and we're going to double down. We're going to make this better. We're going to grow it. We're going to stick this out. I don't disagree. I mean, other people I, I know also talk about like reading people and that. And I, I think that's true. But I think at the end of the day, it allows for me, it allowed me to stomach the good or not the good. Everybody can stomach typically the good, but the bad. When things got bad, how do you fight your way out of that? And I feel like personally, I have buddies that'll tell me this all the time. Like I do my best work when I'm backed into a corner. And I feel like as an entrepreneur, a lot of times you sometimes feel like you're backed into a corner and being able to think critically in those situations and have a game plan and not just give up is somewhat online with what you go through when you're playing poker, at least emotionally it did for me. Yeah. One word that you said that I love, and I think entrepreneurship is all about that. It's about odds. Like as entrepreneur, we have to place bets in the products that we are building, the things that we're going to do next. And our job is to put the odds in our favor. There's no guarantees. And sometimes we make big bets where the odds are against us. And how did you guys fund the build of this product? We self-funded it. We completely bootstrapped it from day one. We went and we had a little nest egg, John and I did, but then we would take any profits that we made from other businesses reinvest it into SoStocked. We took out loans, bank loans, when we needed to kind of ramp up some of the development costs and whatnot. And it got to a point to where we were realizing that we needed an investor to kind of take it to the next level. And that was kind of where we got it to. And then that's kind of where all of a sudden it started opening doors towards investors, acquisitions, and all these different kind of things. But yeah, it was a 100% bootstrapped by us and going back to the poker analogy, we were putting our chips in on this one for sure. Yeah. And try to make the best to get more chips and not lose them, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, I got this stack over here. I'm going to put it out there and just hope that my skill set, and that's right. You never know, like black swan event, whatever can always happen. 
But if you're not playing the game, you can't win the game. Yeah. Walk me through the process of building the product, maybe taking the product to market. I feel like one of the mistakes the entrepreneurs make all the time is put all their chips in building the product. And then now they don't have any chip left. They build for too long before going to market. So walk me through that process and the decisions that you guys made to develop that product. Yeah. So we knew our monthly. So first we started with just kind of doing architecture, building the site, like kind of understanding the framework. Cause then that's just my human capital. It doesn't cost my time, which is definitely valuable, but I'm not spending actual dollars right on that. So we developed the architecture. We started thinking about it. And then beyond that, I knew how much from a bootstrap standpoint I can afford to burn per month on a developer, right? It's like, so if you're 10K a month, 20K, 50K, 5K, whatever that number is for that person, you need to understand that monthly burn and how long can you sustain just that development burn. And what I like to look at is a one third of your total budget goes to development and building and doing that. So same in business, same in whatever. Like if you can plan for the hiccup, if the hiccup happens, it doesn't phase you. You continue to move on. So that's why I always did one third initial development budget, two thirds for your marketing, your other expenses after the fact, your launch. Once you launch, you still need money to keep developers on. You still need all these kind of things. It's not like it's very rare in SaaS, right? You launch and boom, wow, you're breaking even. Like you have that that ramp up period. And sometimes that's a year. Sometimes that's 18 months of you're just burning cash in the trough of sorrow, but you're seeing the results. You're seeing users stick. You're seeing your churn is on. You're like all those other metrics that you're looking at are telling you this is working. It's just you're waiting for that lag of the bank account to catch up. So and my rule is one third. I love the one third rule. I never heard it before, but I think it's a good strategy to follow. And I love that you're like, yeah, it's going to take a long time. I like to say software is never done. Is that they're making money or not making money? It's not going to be done. So, and you have to plan for. And that's another reason why I feel like, and I'll have to hear your opinion, the SaaS probably shouldn't be your first business. This is a complex business. You're going to have to run for so long without making money. You're going to have to understand run rate and you have to be so good at managing your team. And, and your SaaS wasn't your first business. And like most SaaS founders that I see to be successful, it's not their first business. I like to say SaaS is not for amateurs. What's your opinion on that? Yes and no. I agree. Like in anything, usually your second go around, it's like your first million is the hardest to make. And then after that, you know, you can go from there. Now, I'm not saying that you can't make your first million. It's just that if this is your first SaaS product or your first SaaS venture, finding a mentor of some kind can help you be, and it sounds super cliche, but it's so true. Finding somebody that's done it before that can at least prevent you from some of your hiccups can help that first-time SaaS entrepreneur, right? If you have business sense, you can make SaaS work. I believe that wholeheartedly. It may cost you more money because if you don't get a mentor, you don't do stuff, you're going to make a lot of mistakes like in any business. But SaaS is complex. And that's why I talk about the three legs of the stool, because where I see a lot of people get just burnt out and overwhelmed is they try and do all three legs of the stool themselves, right? I enjoyed having partners that I could laugh with, I could cry with. When we got punched in the face, everybody got punched in the face. We could talk about our black eyes together, or we had success together. That was the way I worked, where I knew my faults. I 
41 years old now. Like I know what I'm bad at. I know what I'm good at. I want to surround me with the people that fill the gaps to make sure that I use the stool analogy all the time. So I'm going to keep going to that, but to make sure that the stool stays up. So if you are a first-time SaaS person, make sure you have the three legs of the stool and you find a mentor of some kind because they can at least point you in the right direction. I see also a lot of times people have paralysis by analysis, right? Or they have the perfection mentality or whatever. Those are the things that your second go around, you start to realize progress over perfection wins, right? Like if you can keep moving forward compared to having the most perfect product, to your point, software is never done. I'm always evolving it. I'm always going to be fixing it. I'm always, but if it's just sitting behind a wall and it's never getting shipped or it's the light of day, it's never seen the light of day, you're going to spend money until nothing happens. And that's what's also nice about the one third rule because you go, okay, I got to get this out by one third. And you can kind of start to wrap your mind around that because you've built in a buffer on the backside that if you need more time, you can, but you really try and hold yourself to that one third. What work for Soystock to get those first customers? How did you get your first 10 customers, your first 100 customers? What kind of strategy work work for you guys? So kind of what I talked about, we were, we were fortunate in the fact like we already had a audience that we could tap into in Thomason in our previous SaaS product. So retargeting them was the way that we were able to build lookalike campaigns on Facebook. On, and this was also pre-iPhone update. So we were really able to target, that was probably our bread and butter, was the retargeting of lookalike audiences helped us grow beyond, that's probably the later phase, like that's what kind of put fuel on the fire. The first couple clients were people that Chelsea knew. And what we did was we got those first clients and we gave the product away for free. We said, come in, tell us about it and give us feedback. We just need probably four meetings per person was usually where it kind of landed. Some of the people were only one and then they would kind of fall away. But the idea was we would want to know from them, have them use it and say, this is hot garbage. This is good, whatever. And especially like our forecast, perfect example. Everybody wanted a forecast. That was really what everybody was driving. And it made us realize that's first that's the value. Inventory management is good, but inventory management relates to forecast. How much do you need to reorder and when? That is what everybody is willing to pay for. That is what was made people pay for so stock. So all we focused on with the forecast was what are the metrics they're looking at? Like what do they want to see? And how do we articulate the forecast in a way that they can understand why that number is given to them? And if so, how do I change that number? And that was all we focused on for those first eight clients. And we didn't kind of sell while that was happening. We went back to the drawing board, reiterated, went back to those eight people, showed them they liked it. And then we started turning up the lookalike audiences. We started getting more feedback. We started doing that. So it's cliche, the MVP, ours was not an MVP just because it took a year. Maybe your MVP takes a year, who knows? But we had a lot built into it that we had to tear down and get kind of built back up. So to answer your question, those very first couple people were just people we knew that Chelsea, being the subject expert, had friends in the industry that were larger sellers, that were our target market that we knew we wanted to go after, that we could easily reach out to and say, hey, 
come use this, give us honest feedback. And then we were able to iterate and take that feedback and make it better and make something much stickier beyond what we thought we were trying to build, which at the same time, I'm glad we went through that pain because if I never would have gotten anything out or a lot of these people weren't able to articulate to me what they really wanted until they saw something, until they could touch something and interact with it. A lot of people knew as well what they didn't like. And it was really hard for them to articulate what they do like. So giving them something that they didn't like, they could go, oh, this sucks. But if you would just change it like this, this would be amazing. So it also gave people a visual way to articulate that back to me and back to Chelsea and back to all of us so that we could go back to the drawing board, talk with the development team, iterate, and then relaunch with new features, actually listen to our customers. We implemented a bunch of different things that allowed us to make feature requests very democratic as the system grew and whatnot. But yeah, zero to a hundred, man, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's not easy, but if you're willing to listen to your customers and you have that industry expert that you can pull some of those people in, now you know that you got something that's useful that then once you spend the money on marketing, people are going to stick because churn is the biggest problem in SaaS, right? For sure. So it so looks like you build what you fought from your industry expert knowledge, let's put something in front of people. Then it wasn't everybody. It was just like people that you like had connections to. They gave you feedback on that product. You kept improving. And then once you thought, okay, now I have product market fit. These eight people are loving what we have. And that's when you start to sell for everybody else because there's no point in selling something that's going to have a lot of churn. And if there's eight people, probably because you have a connection, you're maybe more patient. Okay, we're going to change this for you. Okay, how does that look like? What's kind of like the process, how it went? Yeah, and I mean, we still, I mean, you're going to have a lot of churns. So again, progress over perfection, right? Like when we push the, the secondary forecast out, we still had churn problems, but we knew based on just kind of even just a small sample size, I wouldn't even say we had product market fit just yet. We were understanding it and you need more and more people to really truly understand where your product market fit. But we had a very good, it's like a compass, like our product, our subject expert knew that within 10 degrees where North was, we just may have not been pointing perfectly due North to go. We may have been askew, but having these, we call them power users to us was so powerful because whenever we our subject matter expert didn't know something, we always had somebody else in the community that we could tap into that was a subject matter expert and was actually doing what we needed done so that we could go, perfect. This is how it needs to build. Let's get on a call. Let's iterate. Let's figure it out and launch it because we know that this is a real world use case. This is how the people are actually going to use it and not how I have this pretty unicorn vision in my head. So what is like the first oh shit moment that come to mind from the early days of SoStock? Was when we, Chelsea went to her first conference and I forget if it was Prosper or anyway, she went to her first conference. We got a booth. We're like, all right, we're going to do the traditional, get a booth, do your thing, blah, blah, blah. And she went there and she was a pseudo celebrity. Like people were coming, seeking her out going, oh my God, I can't believe Chelsea's here. Or I was walking around and Chelsea introduced me to somebody who went, oh my God, Dan, like 
I talked to you on customer because I was doing a lot of customer support in the beginning so I could get direct customer feedback. So when a customer would complain, I could either help them with a workaround, but also get that feedback directly from the customer's mouth, iterate with them on customer support, and then work with the developers to quickly make a better solution. And the idea that people were approaching us and seeing us as like this, all I can describe it as like a celebrity, like they were coming up and going, oh my God, you guys have such an amazing product. Your support is amazing. Like people were seeking us out and we were going, oh shit, we have something. We have something that people actively like and that people were seeking us out and wanting to talk to us and saying thank you for actually one of the big things that I really wanted to focus on was customer success and support. Because in the Amazon space, and we got a dog on Amazon, but their support is awful. It's too disjointed. It's just nobody knows what the next person is doing. And that is the last thing that I wanted with our software. So I made a very concerted effort to anytime support, a ticket would get brought in, we would answer it within one to two hours. We would do custom Loom videos. We would always answer the full question, even give workarounds and suggestions, like go above and beyond being more than just support, being a consultant, telling people what they, making recommendations, trying to help their business grow because if their business grows, so stock grows, et cetera. Instead of always just customer support too often, I feel like is just trying to rip through tickets and get things done. But the ability to not only iterate or when people made a suggestion, actually having it implemented blew people away. These things of, and it's going to sound bougie, but it's like when you go to a nice hotel, like you go to the Four Seasons or the Ritz or whatever. I don't go there very often, but when I do, I'm just like, ah, somebody lit, you know, if I have a problem, it's taken care of. And that's all I really wanted to do with customer success was make sure that their problems were taken care of and they were heard. And that combined with building a good product, because when we had bugs and we had problems, our customer support could prop up our product. And our customers were always very understanding because they knew we were responsive. They knew we would fix it. They knew that they would get a real person answering them like that. And that also helped us kind of push through the tough times was our customer support and our customer success. And they're still amazing. And they still, when there's an issue, they are the glue that keeps SoStock put together when sometimes, let's say, a bug gets ruled out. They are, and people just know, all right, well, yeah, send support, they'll fix it and go from there. So, but yeah, the oh shit moment was for sure when we went to a conference and people were approaching us going, oh my God, I love your stuff, et cetera. You knew, oh, I built a brand in this space and people love our brand. So that was basically the oh shit moment. Like our brand is strong. Our customers love us. They understand what we do, what we stand for. That's very hard to do. I would say the, probably the other, the secondary one that kind of reinforced it was when we did start going for investment, that our customers, our own users were wanting to invest in us. We're wanting to be the investors. So to us, the fact that they were willing to throw m- large sums of money at something they're already paying money for because they saw the potential was awesome. It's amazing. And how about like a mistake that you guys made that comes to mind that people can learn from? I would say from a development standpoint, and this is totally on me and it's hindsight's 2020, then I don't know if we would have gotten to where we got as quickly. 
was not building in regression testing or unit testing or like when you're developing, right? And Phil, you know, I don't know if, but when you're coding to build a test for what you've just coded so that as the software gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, you can run hundreds of thousands of whatever tests against what you're newly deploying to see if you break something that you're not even looking at. So to us, because unit tests and regression testing, as you know, just takes more time to build. And we were in such a go, 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 iterate, 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 that we were seeing the seeing the growth, seeing everything. We're like, okay, go, 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 go. Instead of every now and then taking a breath or even starting from day one with some kind of testing and taking the time to invest more in testing because we had to take so many steps backwards to clean up that code debt. So to me, that was, that was the problem that, but at the same time, I don't know if we would have gotten to where we were as quickly and gotten the equity. So was it a problem? I know lots of people go down both paths. Yeah. So if you could go back in time, when you start this company, like right before you met that third leg of this tool, like you're talking and tell you something, what do you tell yourself? Honestly, my regret right there, I would say, hey, take a second and make sure you do regression testing. Because if I think of our journey, that was probably our biggest pain point throughout the entire thing. Like I thought we did a really good job of having a subject expert. We did decent marketing. We did all the user analysis. We found product market fit. We really worked to combat churn in an industry in Amazon where churn is... Most Amazon SaaS companies have a churn rate that's crazy. It's like 20% or something. I mean, it's just the Amazon industry is nuts like that. But if we could have in the start done some of that, like Take a hot second and build in some regression testing, build in some of that stuff in the start and stand strong with that standpoint of, okay, we got to do this because it's going to allow us to walk before you run. It's going to allow us to run much quicker when we're at scale and when real dollars are at, at stake. And when, if we make a mistake, it costs hundred thousand dollars or it makes us a hundred thousand dollars and it's lose the forest for the trees kind of situation. But in my opinion, that was always the thing that made my blood boil was taking five steps forward and then four steps backwards and then five steps forward. So you're only taking one step at a time. You get what I'm saying, but that was what got me. And what I would say is like, stand strong with that development, like doing some kind of testing, something that if you build something so big, you're going to be able to manage it and maintain it much better because you're just looking at, we were just looking at growth. That's all we cared about. Like grow, 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 grow. And then all of a sudden you get to a point and you're like, Ooh, yeah, there's maintenance too. And I knew that from Thomason, but we had grown so stock past to where, past where we had gotten with Thomason. So now we were in kind of uncharted waters, so to speak, at least for, for myself. And yeah, that's what I would, if you're building something very big, very complex, And even small, if you can start to think about testing from the start and build that muscle, that practice in, I think you'll be better in the long run. Dan, that's an amazing story. Thanks for coming to the show and share 
And if people want to follow you, learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way to do it? And probably the best way is to go to sasspathway.com and you can in opt in, see a little video about what consulting is all about, what we're teaching in our course, all those kind of things. Otherwise, I do check LinkedIn every now and then, but really the best course of action, go to SAS Pathway, try and book a roadmapping session or a one-on-one call and go from there. Awesome. Thank you very much, Then That was a great show. Awesome. SAS Origin Stories is brought to you by DevSquad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening, and remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.